Hello and welcome into the Birds and Braves podcast. I'm Luke Winstall. Thank you all for tuning in. Today I interviewed Chris Kirshner, Atlanta Hawks beat reporter for The Athletic. In case you're not familiar with it, The Athletic is a subscription-based sports website that provides ad-free national and local coverage in 47 North American cities. Chris just finished up his first year covering a young and exciting Atlanta Hawks team. Now we'll get to the show. Chris, thank you for joining me on the Birds and Braves podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, first off, I wanted to start by talking about the NBA. Is there a clear title favorite, or do you have a title favorite right now in the league? Um, I would probably say, in my opinion, I think the Clippers probably have the best uh, chance to win the title. Um, you know, they add Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, two of the best two-way players in the league. Um, and then the supporting pieces around them, I think, are, are very, very um, good to, you know, complement Kawhi. And friends, when we're talking, um, when we're comparing the East and the West, so the Clippers are definitely going to have more challenges than a team like, say, Milwaukee in the East would. So I think if there was anything that would stop them, it's just the, the amount of competition that they would face in the Western Conference. But as it stands right now, obviously, you know, we're still uh, two months away from the start of the season. But if I were to give a title prediction, I think the Clippers are my team that I would watch for. Well, that leads right into my next question. I was going to ask you, who do you think runs L.A.? But I assume it's the Clippers for the reasons you just described. Yeah, yeah, but yeah I think the, the Clippers. Um, you know, I definitely like the Lakers team. Um, you know, having LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same roster – I mean, there's going to come a, a point, you know, who knows when it's going to be, but, you know, LeBron's not going to be LeBron for the rest of his career. There's, there's going to come a point where LeBron starts declining. I don't know when that's going to be. Um, but to have him with Anthony Davis, who in my opinion is definitely a top five player in the league, um, it, it makes them definitely a team that's going to be in contention or should should at least be in contention for most of the season. I think th- what I'm most curious about for the Lakers is, again, there's there's going to come a point where LeBron starts declining. Will LeBron, I don't know, take sort of a backseat to Anthony Davis and let Anthony Davis, you know, have the Lakers as his quote-unquote his own team? So I think if LeBron does that, I think the Lakers are definitely um, going to be in contention until the end of the season. Both of those teams made big jumps, big moves in the offseason. I was wondering, which team do you think will take the biggest jump after their offseason? I'm trying to think of all the moves. I mean, I I think the the Clippers uh, were eliminated in the first round. They won a couple games against the Warriors. Um, Definitely made things interesting in that series. So, again, I I think the Clippers right now are are my favorites. So, if I were to say a team, I think the Clippers, just because I think they won 46 games this past season, I could see them definitely in, in the in the low 60s. And again, it's tough just being that they are in the Western Conference, so they're going to have a ton of competition. But, you know, the moves they've made this offseason, um, you know, in my opinion, I, th- I think there's, there's a clear number one, and it's the Clippers, in my opinion. Well, now in the NBA – instead of having a super team or a trio like the Warriors have had, or even like LeBron's Cavaliers had, now mm-hmm. there's duos, not really trios, but duos right. now. Do you have a favorite duo? Is it the Clippers duo, since you've talked a lot about them? 
Yeah, I mean, for me personally, um, you know, having two guys who not only are elite scorers, but also elite defenders, I just think that Kawhi and Paul just complement each other's games so perfectly. So, yeah, I mean, if there was a favorite duo of mine to, to watch the season, it'd be Kawhi and Paul. Um, you know, Kawhi, Kawhi is, um, in my opinion, I think the best player in the league at this point. Uh, Paul George is definitely a top 10 player in the league and finished third in the MVP this past season. I don't think he's going to you know, have that kind of season again. Um, but I do think that Paul is, is one of the top 10 players in the league. I'm also curious to see what, um, what the Rockets look like this season with uh, repairing Russell Westbrook with James Harden. I know people um, are very interested in, in seeing how that can work. Yes, they played together when they were back in Oklahoma City, but those two players were, were different. Um, you know, James Harden was the sixth man for Oklahoma City. Yes, they played together, but, you know, James's game has evolved tremendously since when he was with Oklahoma City, and Russell Westbrook's game has evolved too. So to see how that works, I'm very interested because one of those guys is going to have to change how they play. Um, you know, with the Rockets, it's a lot of isolation looks at the top of the key with Harden. Um, you know, it's just a lot of standing around and Russell just doesn't play like that. So, um, you know, they definitely took a very big chance with, um, getting Westbrook again. I know there's a lot of strong opinions on Westbrook, but he's, he's one of the best players in the league. Um, and you pair him alongside James Harden, who's also one of the best players in the league. You're going to have success. It's just a matter of how they adjust their games to how they play, um, how they have played in, in years past. So I think those two in, my, in, in particular are two of the duos that I'm most looking forward to watching the season. Yeah, from my perspective, from what I see here in Atlanta watching from afar, I feel like Houston is James Harden's city. So with Westbrook, I'm assuming he'd be the one that has to take a back seat. Would that be right. what you think will happen? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's also interesting because... I know Houston fans, um, you know, when Westbrook was on Oklahoma City, they did not like Westbrook um, very much at all. Um, definitely one of, I, I would say, one of Houston's, the fan base at least, one of their least favorite players. So to have him now <laughs> alongside uh, Harden is definitely going to be interesting to see how quickly that fan base, um, you know, changes their opinion of Westbrook because, again, for the Rockets to – reach their ultimate success, those two guys are going to, again, have to adjust their games and have to fit in with each other's playing styles. Again, with with Westbrook, arguably one of the most dominant personalities in the league. But, you know, there is some, I guess, reason for optimism just because that relationship between James has been long established. Um, they were very, very close in Oklahoma City, and they have remained close um, since James went to Houston. So, um, but yeah, I think that the, the Rockets, that's, that's Harden's team and Westbrook is probably going to be the one to have to adjust how he plays. I want to go back to one of your previous answers. You mentioned you thought Kawhi was the best player in the league. Mm -hmm. How much of that has to do with his playoff performance and playoff run in Toronto last year? Uh, none. Um, you know, going into... Uh, the playoffs, I, I thought Kawhi was the best player in the league. It's just a matter of um, Kawhi staying healthy. 
And I think the Raptors really, really did a good job with um, managing how many games he played. I think the sweet spot for Kawhi is right over 60 games. Because, for one, the, with, with now, with him being on the Clippers, he doesn't have to play 70, 75 games uh, because that roster around him is so loaded. So they're not going to have to rely on Kawhi to, one, make the playoffs, and two, um, have a top seed just because that roster is, is set up really nicely for them moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, watching what he did in the playoffs – and him not him admitting that he wasn't 100% healthy. Um, just what he does on both ends of the floor. Um, arguably, you know, a, a top three defender. Um, one of the best scorers in the league. Very good three-point shooter. I mean, he just does everything su- at such a high level. It's hard to find any sort of flaw in his game. Well, now to move on. The main beneficiary of the Lakers-Pelicans trade seems to be New Orleans in terms of future value and what they added. They also picked up Zion Williamson with the number overall pick. They have a bright future. Now, in terms of that rookie of the year race to start with, Zion, could you see anyone other than him really winning it, especially with all the hype behind Williamson? Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably going to be hard for anybody to win the award if Zion does what everybody thinks he's going to do. Just because, like you said, um, the hype that's coming in um, with Zion was probably the most since Anthony Davis came into the league. Um, And I think we saw this last year with Luka Doncic. Uh, Luka came in as the EuroLeague MVP, uh, a ton of hype. And once he started the way he did, started at at a really, really, you know, top-notch level, and that carried out throughout the season, even after, you know, he started to trail off a bit toward the end of this season. And then we saw Trey Young pick elevate his game um, toward the, the latter half of the season. And, and it was still too much for Trey to overcome. So I think with, Z- with Zion, if he starts off the way everybody thinks he's going to be, I just don't see how there's any way that Zion doesn't win the, uh, the rookie of the year. Not to say that the, there aren't other uh, rookies who could possibly win it. Um, you know, you look at Memphis and John Morant. Uh, Morant's going to be one of the most dynamic players. Um, he should be at least um, starting game one. Uh, really like his game at Murray State, um, especially with a, a young Memphis team who is not going to have many expectations. I would assume that the Grizzlies' plan is for just to unload Moran and, and do what he's going to do, much like what the Hawks did this past season with Trey Young and, and let him just you know take over the team and, and pretty much run it from the start of the season. So I think in, in with, the, with the rookie of the year race, I'd be surprised if Morant or Zion didn't win. You got to see Trey Young play on a regular basis last year. A lot of media members didn't, so I'm wondering, do you think he should have been the Rookie of the Year over Luka or a co-Rookie of the Year? What are your thoughts on that race? No, um, I don't think uh, Trey should have been uh, the Rookie of the Year for one. Yes, what, what he did, um, excellent season, um, you know, but the defense was, was certainly lacking. Um, you can make the case that uh, Trey was the worst defender in the league. Um, wow. No, if you if if that was your your take, I wouldn't necessarily um, strongly disagree with you. But 
you know, he was definitely one of the worst defenders in the league. And, you know, there are two sides of the floor in basketball. Um, what he did on offense, definitely dynamic. Um, one of the best passers in the game, in my opinion, the top 10 uh, passer. Um, you know, he obviously has the range from to shoot from wherever he he wants on the floor, which which definitely helps others around him. Um, what he did to elevate the games of John Collins, Dwayne Dedman, Alex, in my opinion, I think it was just more than what Trey did in his rookie season. And I think a lot of that hindrance on Trey's game is based on the defensive side of the floor. Of point guard, the type of leader or type of star in Atlanta, they can help draw free agents here in the next couple of years as the Hawks are continuing to rebuild mm-hmm. and retool. Yeah, no doubt. Um, for one, you know, I've, I've talked to many stars this past season about Trey and what they think of him, and they already think highly of him, and that that matters. And two, you have a point guard who, you know, he doesn't need to score the ball to be effective. A lot of point guards across the league need a score to be effective. Um, and I think the, the trend that we've seen over the past few years is that point guards mainly, you know, in years past they were distributors first. Um, but nowadays it seems like they're more so scores than effectively distributing the ball. And, you know, you talk to Trey and his favorite stat is the assist. And I think that matters when we talk about when the Hawks are going to start attracting big-time free agents because stars want the ball, stars want to score. And if you have a point guard like Trey, who is, again, one of the best passers in the league, that's definitely going to be um, something that the Kawhis, the Kevin Durants, the LeBrons, they see that and they're like, you know what, Like that's the kind of point guard that's going to help elevate my game. And if I also join this team, I can take this team t- to new heights that they haven't experienced just yet. It's just going to take one guy to say, you know, this roster, the way it is right now, it's, it's obviously super young. There are seven players on the team right now who are 23 or younger. So it's only going to take one of these big-time stars to look at this roster, their cap situation, and say, you know what, like this is the team that if I join and if I paired with another star – you know, this team is could be deadly in the Eastern Conference, but you know, I, I do think that they have the pieces to um, really attract a big-time star in, say, two, three years. And w- what I think is really beneficial for the Hawks is that um, you know, general manager Travis Schlenk has cleared the books of their bad contracts, um, their bad long-term contracts, I should say, because right. you, know, you, you still have Jabari Parker. I mean, not Jabari Parker. Chandler yeah, Parsons. Parsons. Yep. yeah, he's making $25 million this, se- this season. And oh, gosh. he obviously uh, he obviously shouldn't. There probably should be a decimal point between the two and five. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I, I think that the Hawks are really set up nicely for the future, and I think Trey is definitely a big part of that. Does what Kawhi Leonard did going to L.A. and the Clippers, does that kind of reaffirm what you're saying there in terms of Kawhi went to a team that built up the right way? Yeah, no, no doubt. I think um, not only Kawhi, but you look at Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant. They right. joined uh, Brooklyn, and you know, obviously in those markets, the Clippers are have always been second fiddle to the Lakers, and uh, Brooklyn is always going to be second fiddle to 
New York, no yep. matter how pathetic the Knicks are. So, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm just being honest. They've been right. pathetic for 20 years, 20 yep. plus. Yep. Um, but I think that should give the Hawks hope just because the Clippers and Nets have done things the right way. Um, they got young talent. They developed that young talent. And, again, those two teams, you know, they have the, the young core in place, and it only took um, – one guy to say, you know what, we should be looking at the Clippers instead of the Lakers, or we should be looking at the Nets instead of the Knicks. So I think if, um, you know, for years to come, you look at the, what the Clippers and Nets did, I think it should give other quote-unquote small market teams, not to say Atlanta's a small market team, but they've been viewed that way. Right. Um, but I think that should give hope because, you know, if you develop young players the right way, you develop your front office the right way, you have the right coaching staff in place. I mean, you have all the ingredients necessary to take that next step forward with the help of a couple superstars. We're talking about the moves that Katie and Kawhi made. Which one was more surprising to you when you first heard the news break? Um, I would probably say... Durant, just because a lot of people thought that he was going to go to the Knicks, um, mainly because his agent, uh, Rich Kleiman, a gigantic Knicks fan. Um, And that was the talk for most of the the year, that Durant was going to leave Golden State no matter what happened and join the Knicks. Um, You know, that was, shoot, early in the year I heard that it was um, likely that Durant was going to leave for the Knicks, not the Nets. Um, I know Durant did an interview with Chris Haynes at Yahoo, um, believe last week, and said that that was never the plan. Um, but again, I think that for for Durant to join an organization like the Nets again speaks very highly of building your team the right way, having competent ownership in place. Um, you know, James Dolan, the Knicks owner. You know, definitely not a favorable owner in across all sports. And I think that shows that, you know, again, if you build your team the right way, these stars are going to notice. And you look at what the Nets did in the playoffs this past year. Again, they didn't win, but, you know, they made it interesting with Philadelphia. Um, showed that the, the young pieces that they had were ready for a couple of superstars to help them take that next step. It's probably not going to happen this year just because Duran is likely out for the year with his torn Achilles. But when he does come back next year, you know, we're talking about uh, a team that should be on top of the Eastern Conference. So I think that that move over Kawhi joining the Clippers, because the talk with Kawhi was always that he wanted to return to Southern California. It was just a matter of which team he would choose, the Clippers or the Lakers. And what we've seen out of Kawhi, He's not one of those that's going to join a super team or perhaps be the second or third fiddle on any team. So that move wasn't too surprising. But Durant joining the Nets over the Knicks, I think, was definitely more of a surprise in my opinion. The way that Durant joined the Nets and the way that a few other high-profile players like Jimmy Butler, Malcolm Brogdon, Kemba Walker, the way they went to new teams was a little bit different. Through the sign-and-trade, there were six sign-and-trades that I counted. 
Is that something that is becoming a trend or something that you could see being a big part of the way the league offseason works in the near future? Yeah, because, you know, these teams don't want to lose a superstar for nothing. Um, you know, it, it hurts the team that – it hurts the incumbent team, say like the Warriors, who obviously got uh, D'Angelo Russell. But, yeah, I think that if teams could – you know, if a team like the Warriors, for example, they lose Kevin Durant, obviously, in, in free agency, and, you know, they don't want to lose a player like Durant because – He's one of the best players in the league when healthy. So, you know, if you can get something out of that, and the Warriors did with the Nets, um, you know, that's that's a route that pretty much every single team is going to explore if they can, you know, work that deal and get it done. So, yeah, I think I I, I see that trend, you know, staying in place because, um, you know, for for these teams that are contenders year in year out to in order to get back to you know years past, they're going to have to do something to combat the loss of a star player. So yeah, I see the sign and trade definitely staying around and, and being a, a trend moving forward. Let's talk about some sleepers. Is there a sleeper pickup through a trade or a free agency signing that you could see coming to make a big impact for a playoff team? Huh. Um, I'm I'm a big. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon fan and you know when with the Pacers in particular um, you know that team was headed toward making a a pretty decent run in the playoffs and you know Oladipo obviously goes down with his knee injury and you now have Malcolm Brogdon on that roster Um, I I think that if everything goes right there's definitely a team to watch out for in the East Um, in the Western Conference I don't think many people are are talking about the Jazz and what they did this offseason. In my opinion, I think they had one of the best offseasons in the league. Probably a top three offseason, in my opinion. You know, they add Mike Conley, who, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated point guards in the league. Not really sure how he hasn't made an an all-star game. I mean, I get it because he was in the Western Conference. I mean, he's been in the Western Conference. And, you know, you have to compete with guys like Westbrook and Steph Curry and the list. Um, Joe Ingles, one of the, the league's best knockdown shooters. I think that team could definitely um, make a run. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see uh, Utah a top three seed in the Western Conference this year and possibly the Western Conference champions. I, I think that highly of them. So in my opinion, you know, getting Mike Conley for the Jazz and the Pacers getting Malcolm Brogdon, I, I really, really, really love those moves for those teams. Do you have a sleeper draft pick? Anyone picked in the draft that you think can have a bigger impact, outperform their draft slot, and be better than expected? Huh. Um, trying to think. I think for – I'm going to stick with the team I cover, the Hawks. I think getting Cam Reddish at 10 is definitely a steal for them. Okay. Just because um, if Reddish was allowed to come out of uh, high school – and go into the draft, he would have been a, probably a top three pick just on talent alone. He obviously didn't do much at Duke. Um, you know, definitely a disappointing season for him. But we also have to realize that he was playing alongside, you know, Zion and RJ Barrett. And, you know, those two guys in particular are going to take a lot of the shots. They're going to get a lot of the attention. So 
I think if there was one team that is able to maximize the potential of Reddish, it's the Hawks. I, I, I didn't think that there was a better fit for him in inside the top 10 than the Hawks just because he doesn't have to be the guy. Um, you know, you have Trey Young, you have John Collins. Um, that's going to help open the floor for him because at Duke, there really weren't many three-point shooters on that team. So the spacing was really off for Duke. And it showed, um, you know, when they were in the NCAA tournament that, you know, if you stop Zion or control him and you control RJ, they don't really have another option just because the spacing was so bad. The Hawks have excellent spacing. So that's going to help Reddish really operate fluidly in space, really, you know, become that secondary uh, playmaker that the Hawks are looking for. Um, you know, there's still some question about whether Kevin Herter could be that second uh, playmaker alongside Trey Young, but we we know that Reddish has the capabilities to be, you know, that second playmaker that the Hawks really need. So if there was one person who I think could outperform his draft slot, it's Reddish, because based on talent alone, he's someone that, you know, should definitely have been selected in the top five. I'm not saying that he should have been drafted in the top five, but, you know, if we look at his talent and his potential, he definitely has top five written on him. I want to ask you about some player comparisons for the Atlanta Hawks, starting with the guy we were talking about, Cam Reddish. Is there anyone that you think he compares to in the league currently or a former NBA player? Um, again, if he reaches his maximum potential, if everything goes his way, um, you know, there are no bumps along the way. He's definitely uh, a Paul George mold. Wow. Again, everything has to go his way. I'm not saying he's going to be able to reach that. Right. Or, But again, if he if he's able to you know, hit that maximum potential. I think the the Hawks are definitely that team that can unlock that. And uh, Paul George is the perfect um, example, in my opinion, to compare him to just because, one, he has the length, uh, he has the playmaking ability. And I think, you know, not that many people talk about this game, this part of his game, but Reddish is also a solid defender. Um, and coming into the league already as a solid defender – for one, it's going to help the Hawks because they were atrocious on defense this past season and they need defenders. So if Reddish can provide that, he's going to be able to get minutes on the floor because, you know, they didn't, the Hawks didn't really upgrade their defense all that much. Um, you know, they got DeAndre Hunter, um, who should be automatically one of the team's best defenders. But Reddish is also going to be one of the, or should be one of the best defenders on the Hawks immediately. So if he can show Lloyd Pierce that, you know, he can lock down some opposing players, he's going to be able to find his way on the floor. And if he finds his way on the floor, you know, obviously, you know, you get more confidence under you. You can show um, other teams like what you can do. So he's going to get that buzz if he, if he finds his way on the floor. I don't think he's going to start right away, um, but I would expect him to get around 20 to 25 minutes per game. How about the other rookie, DeAndre Hunter? Who do you compare him to? Yeah, I think DeAndre, um, it's, not a, it's not a sexy pick, but I think Damari Carroll is uh, a, a, a safe comparison, in my opinion. Um, he's, he's someone who, he's not going to be flashy. 
Um, you know, he's not going to be a guy who in crunch time is bringing the, bringing the ball down the floor and operating your offense, but he's going to be a really solid player. Um, he's going to play smart basketball and for the Hawks, that's what they need. Um, you know, they, they need to cut down on their turnovers. They need to, they need to play smarter because they just didn't do that this past season. Um, so I think that's a safe comparison for him. Um, if he, if he reaches his, his maximum potential, you know, you, a lot of comparisons are made between the Hawks and the Warriors just because, you know, Trey Young and the Steph Curry comparisons, whatever you feel about that. Travis Schlank came from Golden State. Um, Kevin Herter has the Clay Thompson comparison. So I look at DeAndre Hunter and, you know, he could be the Warriors version of Andre Iguodala. And that's a really, really solid player and a player, you know, when the Hawks do become a contender, someone who can make a really big difference. Because, you know, you look, you look back a few years ago and it wasn't Steph Curry who won MVP. It wasn't Draymond who won MVP. It was Andre Iguodala. And, you know, that's someone who holds a lot of value on any single team. I think if Hunter reaches his maximum potential, he's definitely someone who I think can compare favorably to. Well, you mentioned Trey Young and Kevin Herter. Who do you think those two compare to? Um, I think Trey in particular. I see a lot of Steve Nash in his game. I know a lot of people, again, um, think of Steph Curry when they look at Trey just because he can shoot long-range threes. But um, Trey has that Steve Nash passing ability. The vision is there. Um, I, I just think that he, him and Steve Nash – just have too many similarities, in my opinion. Um, for John, it's an easy one. Um, you know, prime Amari Stoudemire is what John Collins looks like right now. Um, I know some people are going to be like, huh, Amari Stoudemire, but you look at Amari Stoudemire and what he did um, for throughout his career, he was one of the best power forwards in the league. And, you know, if John continues his growth, um, you know, not, not that many people watch Hawks basketball, but, you know, John averaged nearly 20 and 10 this past season. Um, and he did it on high efficiencies. He had 63% uh, true shooting, which is an unreal mark for someone who, you know, takes threes and doesn't get all their baskets, um, all their buckets at the rim. So I think for, for the Hawks, you know, you have someone – who mirrors Steve Nash and who mirrors Amari Stoudemire, we're talking about a team that, again, if they put it all together in two, three, four years, we're talking about one of the best teams in the league. And lastly, with Kevin Herter, he's someone that surprised me a lot last year with the way he played. Mm-hmm. What do you think about him in terms of his comparison? Yeah, I mean, I don't think many people really expected uh, Herter to perform the way he did. You know, I remember talking to uh, Lloyd Pierce about this before the season, but there were a lot of thoughts around the organization that Herter would have to be sent down to the G League just because he wasn't ready yet. It, he, you know, we look back to that first game of the season against the Knicks. Uh, Herter played four minutes. He just wasn't ready to perform. And then you fast forward to game 82, and – Herter is one of the best rookies in the league. He was named a second-team All-Rookie. I think 
the amount of growth that he showed is up there with any sort of player in the league just because, um, for one, there were absolutely zero expectations for Herter, zero. Uh, nobody was expecting him to become a starter in year one, and he did. He took Ken Bazemore's spot in the lineup, and he actually performed really, really well. And I think moving forward, especially this season, it wouldn't come as a surprise to see Herter shoot over 40% from three. Um, you know, he can possibly develop into that secondary playmaker like I was talking about before and become a really, really good threat for the Hawks on the perimeter. And I, I think that for him, I, I, I do think that the Clay, uh, Clay Thompson comparison works for him just because, you know, he showed that he's a very capable defender. Um, he's not great just yet. But you can see that he has the, the skill set to become a very, very good defender. And again, the, the knockdown three-point shooting is there. Um, he was disappointed this past season that he only shot uh, 37%. He's, he told me uh, actually a few weeks ago that he, he should be shooting over 40% every single year with ease. So if he does that, you know, the clay comparison is definitely there for him. The Hawks have a lot of exciting young players. Could you see a lineup with who I think are the five most exciting guys? Trey Young, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, John Collins. Do you think we could see a lineup with all five of them together? Yeah, I know that's like the dream lineup for, for Hawks fans, and it's understandable. I think for for that lineup to uh, work well, so you'll have Trey at point guard, obviously. Right. Uh, Kevin at shooting guard. Um, Cam at small forward, DeAndre at power forward, and, and John at center. The only thing that um, is, I guess, a, a caution mark for me or caution flag is that, you know, John in his two seasons hasn't really shown yet that he can be a very, very good defender. We look at the last year, in about, with like 15 games left in the season, John really took a step forward defensively. It's just a matter now of if he can actually, you know, do what he did in those pe- in those last 15 games and actually do it for 82 games. If he can, then it's definitely something that that you know is it, it should be expected because that would mean that John is taking a leap uh, leap forward defensively, which he needs to. And again, DeAndre should already be one of the team's best defenders. He can likely guard either forward spot. Uh, Reddish, who I touched on before, um, what he showed at Duke should suggest that he's going to be a, a very solid defender to the league. Kevin and Trey, obviously, are going to be your one your one and two. So I think for that lineup to work, I think a lot of it hinges on John's defense because you don't want your center to be a liability on defense. And the Hawks are already going into the season – uh, with a liability on defense at the center position um, because Alex Len is the likeliest option to start, in my opinion, um, and he's not a very good defender. So they're, they're already going to be weak there defensively. Um, but if John can take that step forward defensively, you know, you can slide him at, at center, move Alex to the bench, and then you have a lot of other options you can work with, like the option we just said that, you know, DeAndre could play power forward, and, and you can have Cam at the small forward position. But, again, a lot of that hinges on John's defense. 
the Hawks lost Dwayne Dedman in free agency. And I know from everyone that watched the Hawks play, everyone knows he was a valuable player last year. Mm-hmm. What's the situation at the five? You mentioned you think Alex Lynn will start. What do you see yeah. happening there? Yeah, I think Alex Lynn is the likeliest option to start just because um, I think he had a very good good season last year. Um, you know, he rejuvenated his career a bit. You know, he spent his first five years in Phoenix where, um, you know, the, the bus label was thrown around quite a bit and deservedly so. Um, you know, he was drafted number five overall by Phoenix and just didn't live up to that, that draft slot. But, you know, he showed this past season that, you know, if you have the right development coaches in place, you have the right staff in place, um, you know, he can definitely provide some value there. You know, you lose Denman, and he's one of the best uh, stretch fives in the league, shot 38% from three, uh, provided valuable rim protection. It's a big loss. Um, you know, I, I saw some free agency rankings heading into uh, free agency that had Denman as a worse center than JaVale McGee. Right. Um, yep. And that just shows you that not that many people watch the Hawks because that's absolutely ludicrous. Um, it's, it's a, it's a big loss for the Hawks just because, you know, the centers right now on the roster are Len, Bruno Fernando, a second round rookie and Damian Jones, who hasn't really shown much of anything in his, uh, in his career so far. Um, you know, he's torn both pecs, um, he's buried on golden State's depth chart. So he hasn't really shown what he can do just yet. So you have three guys who are kind of unproven. I mean, Len, yes, he showed what he can do last season, but who knows what he's going to be able to do with the starting job because he only averaged 20 minutes per game this past season. And if he's the starting center, one would imagine that he's going to be getting at least 25 minutes per game. So you don't know how his body's going to be able to hold up. So, you know, heading into the season, I think that there's legitimate concern at the five just because – you know, the depth just isn't there. You have to hope that Fernando um, develops pretty much immediately. Um, you have to hope that Jones, you know, now that he actually has a chance to earn meaningful minutes, you know, he started, I think, 20 games uh, this past season um, for the Warriors. Uh, he's, he was the starting center um, in game one of and forget what happened. Oh, yeah, he, he, he uh, got injured, obviously. But, you know, for him, this is his really big shot to earn the starting job and hold it. So I think that battle in training camp is definitely going to be one of the ones to watch just because, again, it's not that Alex has that spot locked up um, like the other positions, in my opinion. Probably small forward, you can make the case that it's going to be DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish. I think Hunter definitely has the the easier path to earning that role, but the center spot is not locked down at all. I just think that when, you know, he shot 36% from three, he gives the Hawks the spacing they want on offense. Um, But again, like I mentioned before, his defense is just lacking. Um, You know, Jones is someone who, um, you know, is, is a likely better defender right now. Fernando, if once he develops, he'll likely be a better defender than Alex Len. So I think that role is definitely up for grabs. It's just going to be a matter of who looks best in training camp. But right now, I would, I would say that 
Len is the, the penciled-in starter at center. Bruno Fernando is intriguing to me. I saw him mocked as high as going number 17 overall, fell to the Hawks in the second round. Mm-hmm. What can we realistically expect to get out of him? Yeah, well, for one, uh, I thought it was a win for the Hawks to get him in the second round. Um, about a month prior to the draft, I had wrote on The Athletic that uh, Fernando was one of the guys that the Hawks were looking at because they wanted to fill a center spot after losing, um, well, they expected to lose Devin in free agency. Um, but Fernando, they had him as a late first-round guy. Um, the The plan was, because the Hawks entered draft night with three first-round picks, 8, 10, and 17, if they weren't able to move up in the draft, obviously they did, but if they weren't able to, um, they had a plan to move down uh, toward the bottom half of the first round and possibly get Bruno Fernando if he was still on the board. So to get him in the second round was a big win for them. Obviously, you lock him up for three years on a very, very cheap deal. But for him, he's super raw, Um, very, very raw. That's why I don't think he's going to be able to start right away, like a DeAndre Hunter or even a Cam Reddish. But um, when he does develop, you know, there's definitely a lot of hope inside the Hawks organization that Fernando is going to develop into the team's uh, center of the future. Um, it's likely not going to, he's likely not going to show what he can possibly be in year one, uh, just because I think that they're going to move him along slowly. He still needs to show that he can uh, shoot. We saw a little bit of that in summer league. Um, you know, he definitely for his size has a lot of fluidity, but he didn't shoot uh, many three pointers at Maryland in his two seasons. But again, we've seen the Hawks, you know, turn John Collins into a three point shooter. He took zero three pointers in college and now he's shooting 35, 36% from three. So I think that the planet for Fernando is, develop his his jumper, develop his confidence with his jumper. You know, from talking to Fernando several times now since he's been drafted, it's definitely he definitely has a lot of confidence in his jumper. But, you know, that could change when we actually have real, meaningful games played. But right away, I think Fernando is someone who is going to be able to provide rim, prote- rim protection. He's going to provide energy and effort. Um, I, I think back to the, uh, the pre-draft workouts, and I don't think that there was a more energetic player, in my opinion, than Fernando. So he's going to provide that, and in turn, with that energy and effort, he's going to become, he's likely going to become one of Lloyd Pierce's favorites. So that's going to help Fernando, you know, get meaningful minutes, and I think he, it's probably likely that we'll see him somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes per game this season. I don't expect him to get minutes that Hunter or Reddish would, just because I think that they're gonna they're gonna try and bring Fernando along pretty slowly. We both agree that Dwayne Dedman's a valuable player. Would it have been a bad idea for the Hawks to re-sign him and match a four-year, forty million dollar deal like the one he got? See, I, I really like Deadman. I don't think that Deadman and the Hawks, for where they are right now, they're not really on the same timeline. 
Okay. I think that uh, Deadman, um, this is probably going to be his last opportunity to get a really, really nice, lucrative deal with some long-term stability. Uh, the Hawks only wanted to re-sign him for uh, one to two years, preferably one year, just because um, you know the plan going into the draft was to get a center, whether that be Jackson Hayes out of Texas, who the Pelicans got, or someone like Fernando. So I just don't think that their timelines really matched up. So it didn't really make a lot of sense for the Hawks to sign Deadman to a, a three- or four-year deal just because, one, you don't really know who's going to stick around on this roster, and you don't want to be locked into a guy who, say, in three years – Trey Young doesn't pan out or Kevin Herter doesn't pan out or John somehow plateaus early for some reason and you're locked into a center for four years. It just didn't make a lot of sense for the Hawks to do that right now. When the Hawks have made moves this offseason, generally I've been able to understand what they were doing. There's oh. one that I was confused about, and that was the trade of Amari Spellman. Oh. I, mean, I was wondering, it seemed like they kind of gave up on a first-round pick after mm-hmm. one year, and I had yep. seen some flashes from him. I'm sure you did too. What did you think about that move? How do you make sense of what happened there? Yeah, I mean, the timing definitely threw me off because uh, I, re- I remember he was traded on a Monday, and I had talked to uh, Lloyd that Sunday, so the day prior, and Lloyd was talking to me like, you know, Mario was a part of the team's future. I mean, it wasn't any secret. If you had eyeballs, you could see that uh, Amari was still overweight, and it was an issue that he um, dealt with this past season uh, very publicly. I mean, he called himself fat, quote-unquote. So it wasn't like it was a secret that Amari needed to work on his conditioning and his diet. And once we saw Amari in Las Vegas, it was clear that not much progress had been made. So... From what I was told is that the Hawks just grew tired of, you know, kind of babysitting Amari. Um, you know, Amari knew that he needed to change and, and get better, and, you know, he just didn't. I think for for some young players, the adjustment from college to the NBA is harder for some than others. And, you know, I, I had talked to Amari on several occasions about this, but, you know, he really struggled with, having a lot of free time and having, you know, seeing over a million dollars in his bank account because he was able to do whatever he wanted. And, you know, some players deal with that better than others, and Amari just couldn't work work it out. I do think that, you know, for the Hawks, you are able to sign someone like uh, Jabari Parker, who took effectively took Amari's spot on the roster. And Jab- Jabari for where both players are right now, I mean, he's just a better basketball player. Um, so you improve the roster with Jabari over Amari. Yes, Amari was a first-round draft pick, um, but if you can improve the roster for someone who you know, is only 24 years old, he's shown glimpses of you know being able to be a, a pretty good player in this league. There's obviously defensive concerns. Um, but you improved your roster with Jabari. Um, and it's unfortunate for uh, Spellman just because, you know, he really wanted to, 
you know, grow with these young guys. He really um, developed strong relationships with not only the, the players, but he was really close with um, Lloyd Pierce. He was really close with uh, Greg Foster, an assistant, one of the assistant coaches. So it's very unfortunate, but you hope, you know, person to person that this is sort of a wake-up call for him. Um, he's obviously going to one of the best organizations with Golden State. Um, he's going to have excellent veteran leadership. Um, you better believe that Draymond is going to be on him if he isn't um, eating properly and working out properly. So I think that this is a, a, a good career move for um, Spellman just because he's going to a very, very stable organization that is going to look after him. So you just hope that this is the wake-up call for him. You talked about Jabari Parker. Offensively, I feel like with his age only being 24, I feel like he's got a lot of potential. He can be the player that we all thought he would be coming out of Duke. Defensively, I know there are the concerns. What do you think we could expect to see from him in an Atlanta uniform with this young team? Yeah, I think, um, for one, I think he'll be the the top scorer off the bench. Um, you know, we look at what the Hawks have done in previous summers. So, Deadman, he leaves San Antonio. Nobody really thinks that's a an important move um and he develops into a very competent three-point shooter a very competent setter um and again when that move happened for the hawks no one really thought much of it last summer they signed alex len again nobody really cared all that much but len showed that okay like he he actually does have value um he actually does have something to his game that he didn't show in the five years in Phoenix. And then you fast forward to this summer and the plan is, well, the hope is that Jabari becomes that sign for the Hawks where Denman increased his value. Len increased his value. Jabari has shown again, he's shown that he's a very, very good scorer when he's healthy and, and you know, when and if he's healthy and that if is very big, um, you know, he's had two very, very, serious knee injuries and it's something that he's continuing to deal with um you know he said during his introductory press conference that one of the reasons why he signed with atlanta is because the training staff is so highly regarded so um you know for he has to stay healthy and if he does stay healthy it's just another it's just a very very good option off the bench for the hawks you have to always be concerned about his defense just because defense has been a gigantic issue for him throughout his career and he's shown very little effort on that side of the floor he very famously said that no he doesn't get paid to play defense and he comes to a Hawks organization that yes they were very bad on defense this past season but Lloyd Pierce is a defensive-minded coach um, you know he said plenty of times this past season that Defense wasn't something that he was trying to emphasize. He just wanted to get like the, the foundational structure in place before he started implementing his defensive schemes. You would assume in year two that we'll see a better defensive effort from the team as a whole. And Jabari's going to have to adjust. Otherwise, again, he's not going to play much because Lloyd definitely prefers very good defense. So, you know, if, if Jabari does show improvement on, on that end of the floor I think it's it's a home run signing you know that you they get him for a very uh reasonable contract 
six and a half million a year. I think the only surprise, in my opinion, for that contract is giving Parker a player option, just because he's not really a, a star. He's not really uh, starter material. Um, he can probably start on some teams. He he obviously isn't on this team, just because John Collins is the starting power forward. But to give him a player option is definitely a little confusing. But again, if he if he shows what Demon did two years ago and Alex Len did last year, I think it's it's it could be a very good signing for the Hawks. For the Hawks starting lineup on opening day, I'm guessing Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and then at the four or five, John Collins and Alex Lynn. Who's uh-huh. at the three for Atlanta? I'd be surprised if it was anyone other than DeAndre Hunter. That's what um, I thought. You know, you trade Torian Prince to Brooklyn, who was last year's starter at the three. Um, you know, they were not pleased with Torian's effort on the defensive end. And, you know, the Hawks end up prioritizing defense with that number four pick. Um, and as someone who is going to have higher efficiency. So it, it would be it would be a surprise if it was anyone other than, than Hunter because, again, like I touched on before, um, you know, he's automatically – he should be one of the team's better defenders, if not the best defender. So it would be a surprise if it was anyone other than Hunter. In that lineup, the starting lineup, does Hunter guard the other team's best player or best scorer? That's the hope. You okay. Know, you, um, for rookies, you know, they might be a really good college defender, but sometimes it takes time to adjust to the speed of the game. So for the Hawks, yes, that's the hope that, you know, Hunter can automatically guard Kawhi or guard LeBron or whoever. But, you know, starting out, I don't, game one, are we going to see in crunch time if it, if that game comes down to the wire with the Pistons, is DeAndre Hunter guarding Blake Griffin? It's it's definitely something to watch. I want to see that happen just because that'll tell us a lot automatically of how they view Hunter um, and where they view him in terms of his development path. So I think the plan for now is to, again, like, like what we saw with this past season, they brought the rookies along pretty slowly. Um, outside of Trey, um, I could see them bringing DeAndre Hunter along slowly. Yes, he's going to be a starter, but they're not going to ask much of him, I would assume. But if if that game against the Pistons is any indication of what happens, um, again, if he's guarding Blake Griffin, if it's a close game, I think that'll tell us a lot for how they view him. One thing for Atlanta that's been in the news lately, Vince Carter returning for his 22nd season. What kind of role could you see him playing in his 22nd year? You know, talking to Vince last season, he wanted to um, go to an organization that would allow him ample playing time. Um, I just don't see that this year just because they have a a younger roster than what they did this past season. Um, You know, obviously the the plan is for the Hawks to have – you know, guys like Hunter, Reddish, Jabari, they want the young players to get as many minutes as possible. Um, so I just think that the role for Vince this year is is probably going to be much more limited than what it was this past season when they had to rely on him in certain games just because the amount of injuries that they had. Um, there are always injuries, so 
Vince will definitely get playing time. I just don't think he'll get as much as what he got last year. So his role is pretty much going to be that veteran leader in the locker room, um, the extension of the coaching staff, the guys that you know you can turn to Vince and get as much advice as possible. And Vince really likes that role. So it's a good it's a good organization for him to be on just because he really likes being a, a, a veteran and leader. He really likes when young players ask him questions. So I think that the Hawks are definitely a good fit for Vince, but I'm not sure how much playing time he's actually going to get. The NBA and the Atlanta Hawks schedule recently dropped earlier this week. Which Hawks games are you most looking forward to? Um... I mean, personally, I, it doesn't matter to me just because I get paid the same, whether it's uh, they're playing the Suns or they're playing the, the Clippers. Sure. I, I still get the same paycheck. So, But I think for fans, um, you know, Luka versus Trey is obviously going to be a thing for the rest of their careers. Um, you know, their first matchup is February 1st, so that's definitely a game that um, it's going to draw a lot of eyeballs just because they're – going to be compared to each other for the rest of time whether people like it or not it's that's just the way it is i think that one in particular is one i'm looking forward to um you know anytime anytime the lakers come to town it's obviously a spectacle the celtics uh the warriors um i think they're i think for me personally um you know last year was my first year covering uh, the NBA and the Hawks in particular, um, you know, Kent Bazemore definitely helped me out personally just because, you know, I was able to go to Kent whenever I really had questions that I thought were dumb to ask in like a public setting. And I can just go to him privately and he would answer and help me out um, tremendously. So, you know, the first time they play the Blazers comes early in the season. It's that, that five game road trip early in November. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting up to Portland and, and seeing, how Bazemore is adjusting to, you know, being in Portland. Cause I know, you know, we talked about it several times um, that he wanted to spend the rest of his career in Atlanta. Obviously it didn't work out that way. So that's definitely a game that I'm most looking forward to just personally. In terms of the national NBA schedule, is there any game that you looked at or that you heard of that you saw and it was kind of that drop everything, cancel your plans, like must see TV is there any game like that for you as a fan or as a reporter? Um, I mean, obviously the, the Clippers-Lakers rivalry this year is going to be really fun to watch just because those are two teams that um, there's going to be a lot of attention on them, um, two teams that could potentially win the championship. That rivalry should heat up this year. Um Rockets Thunder should be another good one, especially. I mean, it's looking like Chris Paul is going to at least start the season out with Oklahoma City, um, and now having Harden and Westbrook on the Rockets, um, that's definitely a game that I'm most looking forward to. But I'm just one of those who could watch a, a Suns Magic game and enjoy it. So there's not like one game where I'm like. Oh, I need to watch it just because, like, again, I'd, I'd watch a Suns Magic game and have fun. My final question for you, back to the Atlanta Hawks. What do you think is the ceiling for their team? I've heard some people say playoffs. I've heard some people say the number 10 spot in the East. 
What do you think is the ceiling for the Atlanta team? I think the ceiling for them, if everything goes well for them, I could see them being the seventh seed. I'm, I, I can't see them being any higher than that. Um, I think the, the floor for them is probably the tenth seed. Um, and I think that's a more realistic uh, scenario for them because I, I really like their roster. I just think that they don't have the experience just yet to really compete even in a weak Eastern Conference. I think they're going to take a leap forward this year. Um, I, I think that the over-under, if I remember correctly, is like 32.5, 33.5. Um, I could see the Hawks winning – somewhere between 34 and 36 games. I think that's a reasonable number for them. You know, to get to the playoffs, I think last year um, it was 41 wins or 42 wins. I think they needed um, to be right over 500 to make the playoffs. You know, the Hawks won 29 games last year. There were a lot of um, very close games that, you know, with more experience, they probably win. So, with them, with John and, and being in year three, Kevin, Trey, year two, you know, they have that experience this year. I, I don't know if it's going to be enough to, you know, reach that seventh seed or even an eighth seed, but I do expect the Hawks to be very competitive. And for them, I think that's what matters more. Um, they would obviously like to make the playoffs, but it's not something that, a lot of people in the organization are like this needs to happen this year. Like if it's not, if it, it's playoffs or bust, like that's not really the thought process with this organization just for where it is. But I do expect them to take a, a leap forward. It wouldn't surprise me to see them in the playoffs, but right now if I was projecting them, I, I just don't think that's, that's going to happen. A follow up to that just real quick. When do you think the time will come for the Hawks where their organization saying, all right, we have to make the playoffs now, or we have to push for a top four seed. When do you see those types of benchmarks coming? Um, I mean, next year they, they should definitely be shooting for the playoffs and, you know, trying to make a run at things. You know, they're going to have $70 million in cap space this upcoming summer, which is a lot of money to do a lot of creative things. You know, the free agency class next summer is very weak, so I wouldn't expect them to, um, you know, make moves just to make moves. Um, but they can use that space creatively and acquire people in trades. You never know who's going to become available in, in trades. Um, but I think next year we should start hearing more about, okay, like we have a, we have a foundation in place. We have the right pieces in place. Now it's time to start making moves toward making a run in the playoffs, get to the second round, you know, maybe surprise some people and make the Eastern Conference Finals. Do I think that's going to happen next year? No. Um, but I think next year is when we're going to really see them take that next step forward and try to make it run of things. Well, Chris, that's all the questions I had for you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. You cover a great young team in the Atlanta Hawks. Best of luck to you in the future. Thanks a lot, you too. Thank you again to Chris for joining me on the Birds and Braves podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on social media at Birds Braves Pod. You can check out Chris's articles in the future at www.theathletic.com. Look up the Hawks and you'll get his great coverage. Now that concludes today's show. I appreciate you all tuning in. 
We'll be back next Thursday with another one. Thank you.